Welcome to the L&D Career Club podcast, where purpose-driven people come to start and grow the L&D career of their dreams. I'm Sarah Canistra, an L&D career, business, and executive coach, and I'm here to take you on a weekly journey to create a seamless, energizing, and engaging L&D career blueprint so you can live a life of fulfillment, inspiration, and freedom. If you're here to find your first L&D role, move up the L&D ladder, or land that high-level L&D role you've been dreaming of, welcome to the club. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having an amazing day. Welcome back to the L&D Career Club podcast. Super excited that you're here, and I'm super excited too. I I think I've told you all this before, but I typically record these podcasts the day before they go live. So today is Monday, April 17th. It is early in the morning um, for me, which is strange. I've been getting up early recently. I'll take it. Um, but it's Monday, April 17th, and this episode will go live on Tuesday, April 18th. And so going into the month, I typically have a pretty good idea of like the topics I want to cover, but I really look at uh, kind of what's happening in the kind of L&D market, the job market, with what, the work I'm doing with my current career coaching clients, the work I'm doing with my executive coaching clients, you know, really kind of figuring out what's happening out there in the landscape of, of the L&D world. Um, and that will usually impact and kind of affect what it is I'm talking about and how I'm talking about it. However... Some of you may already know this, but next week I am getting married. Um, it's so weird to say that next week. Um, it was like, oh, April. It was like, oh, next month. And it was like, oh, three weeks. And now it's like, holy macaroni. It is next week. So next week I am getting married. I am so excited um, to be marrying the love of my life. Uh, but I am taking some serious time off before and after the wedding just to make sure that I am rested going up and arrested coming back. Uh, we have a lot of really fun things planned uh, during our wedding, our long wedding weekend. So um, with that, the next several episodes you'll be hearing, the next three to be exact, um, are all going to be pre-recorded. So they'll all be recorded today, hopefully, fingers crossed, if I can get all those uh, <laughs> across off my list. Uh, and so I just wanted to give you all a heads up because um, if anything major happens in the world over the next couple uh, weeks, Fingers crossed, things don't, but uh, if anything major happens, uh, just know these were pre-recorded uh, over the next couple of weeks. So really, really excited. We're going to dive deep um, over the next three weeks after this episode. We're going to get really, really into um, the niche work. So I know we're heading into the summer right now, and a lot of people want to be in their full-time roles their new full-time roles um, in the L&D space by the end of the summer. And so kicking off Finding Your Niche in May, um, we're going to kick off that program actually, but I really want to start to talk about that a little bit more because if you are looking to be in that role by the end of the summer, Finding Your Niche is going to be the first place that you're going to want to start. So with that, I do want to um, kind of give you some heads up and some programs that are going on so that way you all have chances to register for those, especially some are going to be on pre-sale. So first and foremost, the L&D Career Club, as you all know, it's the six-month membership for you to get across the finish line, find, land your dream L&D role with support from me and a bunch of other amazing people. Um, so inside the L&D Career Club on May 4th, just so you all know, that is when we are having your live coaching call with me. So if you are in the L&D Career Club on May 4th, we are doing a live coaching call. 
where I sit down with you as a group live. We answer any of your burning questions that are coming up specifically about you. On May 8th, we're kicking off the Nail Your Niche Live. It's a two-week-long program. It is my, I know I love all my programs equally, but I have to say, Nail Your Niche Live, oh, first of all, it's kind of my baby because it's my first like kind of mini live program that I did. But it is the most potent and impactful program, I think I'm going to say this, that we have. Uh, they're all potent, they're all impactful, but this one just sets the tone. So I'm going to talk about this in some upcoming episodes, but finding your L&D niche is the key to success. And I say that because I, I just celebrated a client of mine um, this last uh, Friday on LinkedIn. I specifically called this person out because she had wrote to our group that she applied for 10 roles in the last two weeks and already heard back from two for first round interviews. And they just with some major companies, okay, some major, major companies. And what was so interesting is that, you know, so many people come into working with me and they're, they've applied to hundreds of roles and maybe heard back from one, maybe two. And it's just so beautiful to see that what this client did was she really, really did the niche work. She came in, she really focused on finding her L&D niche. And then from there was able to do, take all that niche work and create this really freaking epic cover letter and resume that speaks to her L&D niche. And so of course these big companies very quickly are getting back to her and saying, hell yeah, we want to have an interview with you and move you on and keep going because of how clear she is with what it is she actually wants to do next versus what she thinks other people want her to say. And that's what we're going to focus on inside of the, the Nail Your Niche live program. So you're going to have live support for me. You're also going to have some asynchronous modules too. So you can definitely work through some of the content on your own time, but you'll have two live Q and A's with me. We'll have a live daily group voice chat. So you'll be able to ask questions that you have, get daily support from me for two full weeks on your niche. Um, this is epic. And especially if you want to be in that new role by the end of the summer, this is where you have to start. Uh, this program we used to do just annually. So we used to do it in the like fall winter uh, every year for the last couple of years. Uh, now I'm doing it twice a year. So we're going to do it kind of early summer. So we're like I said, kicking off on May 8th and then we'll do it again in the winter. So if you're looking to be in your role, like I mentioned, end of summer, this is the most epic place to start because it's going to give you all the tools that you need to create that blueprint to really cross the finish line inside of your L&D career transition. So, and this is not just if you are new to L&D. This I have VPs who are in the L&D Career Club in my programs who actually, in all honesty, sometimes need this even more. Um, so just so you know, too, if you're already in L&D, you still need to find your L&D niche. It's not just for people who are transitioning into L&D. So common, common myth there. Um, so that's going to kick off on the 8th. It will go for two full weeks all the way through um, the 19th. So the 8th and the 19th, which I'm really excited about. And then on the 9th, we have Priya Soda coming on. I'm so excited. She's going to be our guest speaker for May inside the L&D Career Club. And she is going to talk about owning your confidence in your new L&D role. So whether you have landed your role or not, um, Priya is going to set you up for success, give you some real tangible strategies to start owning your confidence. So that way you can step into your new role or grow in your new role with complete confidence, busting any imposter syndrome that you have 
and really showing up authentically. So super excited about that. Those are all happening inside of the LED Career Club. Um, Nail Your Niche Live can be purchased separate. So that is $555 um, right now on presale. So you can actually grab that right now on presale. That will be on presale through May 1st. The price will go up to $667 um, on May 1st. But if you are inside the LED Career Club, that is included and that is free for you. So just know to inside the LED Career Club, we do a uh, live program, uh, at least one live program every month. Um, sometimes we have two and uh, that those are included for you if you're inside the L&D Career Club. So uh, if you and the Nail Your Niche is just a, thir a, a third of the cost of the entire L&D Career Club. So uh, it definitely makes sense if you want to hop into L&D Career Club. If you've been thinking about it, uh, now's the time to join. You'll get L the Nail Your Niche for free. But if you want to just join Nail Your L&D Niche, we'd love to have you. Um, you can go to the overnighttrainer.com slash events and get all of the information on how to join that program. Okay, let's dive into today's episode. So I'm super, super excited, especially, and this kind of is, is perfect with what I was just saying too, of like, just because you're already in L&D and you're looking for that next big role doesn't mean you need to know, doesn't mean you don't need to know your L&D niche. Like more, more than ever you need to. And that's what, that's what we're talking about today. So I'm super pumped. I actually totally fangirled this, um, this podcast request came across my email and I almost fainted because I am a huge, huge, huge David James fan. So if you are not familiar with David James, he is the chief learning officer at 360 Learning, formerly at Loop, and has been a people development professional for more than 20 years. Most notably, y'all, he has been the director of talent, learning, and OD for the Walt Disney Company, and he oversaw L&D across Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, you may know David because he is the host of another amazing L&D podcast, so two podcasters unite today, uh, which is called the, L the Learning and Development Podcast. He's a prominent writer and a conference speaker, and he speaks on topics all around modern and digital L&D. Today, we are talking around the path to becoming a chief learning officer. I know that I've spoken to so many of you and that that's the ultimate goal for you. So my hope for today is that David gives you a really beautiful look at what it takes, what, first of all, what his path was and what it takes to become a CLO. I know you're going to learn so much from David. My mind was blown and I can't wait to hear all of your takeaways. David, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for hopping on with us today. Thanks, Sarah. It's, a, it's an honor. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I was saying before the show that uh, I know a lot of people will be uh, fanning out about the fact that you're on the show. And I was personally fanning when I got a got a message from, from you about being on the show. So, so excited that you're here. And I know people are going to be really, really excited to hear from you just based on your experience. But before we dive into today's episode all around like high level L&D leadership and how to get there, I'd love for people to hear about you and your origin story. Uh, I know you're we, before we hit the record button, I was we were talking about how like you know being a podcaster, you're probably not telling your story as much. So <laughs> I would love to uh, let everyone know about your story, how you got started in L and D, and what was your path to becoming a chief learning officer. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Well, podcaster is uh, is one of those ridiculous job titles that uh, that. Uh, that if I'd told my mum about that when she was still alive, she would have definitely said that that wasn't a proper job. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> things move on too quickly. Uh, but like a lot of people, uh, my, my learning and development career um, started by accident. I was working in a contact centre for a division of a UK-based bank, uh, and I was a team leader. Uh, um, I, I was pretty fresh uh, in my career. 
Um, but I got sent on a training course. And I think that this is probably a very common story uh, for a lot of people. I went on that training course and I couldn't believe that that was a job. The guy was That's so my charismatic. Story too. Like someone gets paid to do this? That's amazing. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so I, I spent those two days on that course thinking, how do I get to do that? And, uh, and over that time, I befriended the, uh, the trainer. Um, I did some volunteering in his team. I applied for a role and I didn't get it. Um, so uh, I, I realized that I needed to, to, to spread my wings. And so I, I joined um, another bank and it was, uh, it was with one other person. But very soon that other person left. So uh, I pretty much started my L&D career or training uh, and development career in a um, standalone role. And I spent five years there uh, becoming better as a facilitator, as a designer, uh, holding myself accountable for uh, assessment and evaluation. Uh, I grew the function from induction through to leadership development, uh, core skills development and an e-learning suite. And I won awards within the company uh, for what I'd done, which was great validation for me. Yeah. Um, because really, I was uh, I felt as if I was um, uh, I was winging it. Uh, I, I mean, I was I was very studious and uh, and I used to get um, uh, this was the uh, pre-internet. Uh, I would get uh, physical brochures of uh, of of class of of training um, content um, to 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 learn the courses, uh, to understand what went into those courses, to incorporate those into mine. Love that. Uh, and I'll like be the, the, origi the original content curation was that's right from brochures. <laughs> <laughs> doing doing it analog, yeah. Um, and 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 I was getting great great results. Um, I but then I wanted to go test myself, so I joined a, a, a division of Lehman Brothers, um, and a much bigger learning and development team. But I learned very quickly, and well, first of all, I realised that this was a sideways step, but I was ready for the next uh, step in my career. And I took a, a massive leap because the the, uh, the lady who placed me into that role at Lima Brothers uh, contacted me just off the cuff, almost a year and the year uh, to the date from from when I joined Lima Brothers, and said, "I've got a bit of a, a curveball for you. Disney's come to me, and they've got a three month contract." And I was like, "Wow, three months!" And I did it. And I and I leapt from a, from a full time role to to three months with Disney, and it was really niche. I mean, this was helping to launch their first online performance management uh, system, wow. uh, but it took longer than uh, was anticipated. So they extended yeah, it for another six months. months. Uh... No, <laughs> it was yeah a bit ambitious, uh, but but in the six months that I was extended, my boss left, and I was asked whether I would just hold the fort until they found somebody else. Um, but uh, the HR director liked the way I worked and asked me whether I'd carry on. I was at Disney eight years in the end from a wow. three-month contract, uh, promoted three times in six years. So went from a, a contractor uh, in very much an administration role uh, to running learning and development, talent and organizational development for Disney Europe, Middle East and Africa. It's funny how, you know, the just, just, I mean, sliding doors moments isn't uh, doesn't even yeah. cut it. The saying yes um, to that three month contract changed. I know it <laughs> changed career. my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and during that time, I mean, it was uh, it was it was hugely exciting. It was the longest I'd stayed at a company uh, prior uh, to that um, because 
I, I was experienced. I was experiencing, sorry, uh, working with really talented, driven people. Imagine going to work uh, and the people that you are uh, consulting with and you're uh, facilitating or you're workshopping with are there and they are giving absolutely everything. They are super talented, really creative. And, uh, and the way that I had Disney described to me when I first joined, it's like 14 different businesses that share a building. So you had everything from the Disney store uh, to um, uh, digital marketing uh, through to parks and resorts, the Disney Channel, uh, and then all the back office functions as well. So uh, it really was um, uh, both challenging and, and always interesting. Uh, because of the the type of work and the type of people I was working with, but again, things worked out really well, and um, and I'm sure we'll get into some more career stuff. But uh, but I um, I knew I wanted to make Disney work for me, so I got myself a bunch of mentors over the time that I was there. Uh, that was always um, having me focused on the next step ahead of where I was, so that I could first of all prove myself in the role, um, but but then also get me ready for what came next and uh, and, I, and when somebody asked me um uh, soon after i i left disney um what i what was my specialism what did i become really good at and i said getting the right stuff done at disney um it was i mean it was really specific but i i made it my business to truly understand the culture uh what it was that um that, that exceptional talented people were doing in order to get on and then um role model that to to try that stuff on um but then um you know almost fast forward to now i left disney uh, hugely frustrated that i had this huge remit but we had to do everything manually because we were saddled with uh, a really clunky lms filled with generic content that nobody wanted to use because they saw what i didn't see at the time this was it wasn't it wasn't what they needed. It wasn't adding them any value. It was a way of scaling L&D, but not actually equipping people to do the work. And I didn't realize that until I, uh, until I met uh, the guys at Loop that I joined afterwards. I saw a demo of a beta version of Loop and the words that came out of my mouth uh, were, that's the first piece of learning tech I've seen that I'd use. And it was like, wow, I've just spent 15 years trying to push e-learning up a hill with so little traction that's over four companies like and, and we just couldn't get it to fly yeah. and so I knew that it wasn't me and I knew it wasn't Disney but it was at that moment I thought there is a huge opportunity um, for digital or online learning where at the moment it's just about putting courses on computers and that's where we um, uh, we, we made uh, I suppose um uh, some real noise in the market because we hung our hat on um, making stuff work, digital that actually works. And so we like, we joined a very crowded um, uh, learning tech market. Uh, and then we we, we sold to, uh, we were acquired by 360 Learning at the end of 2021. Um, and they saw us as, uh, as uh, akin to them because yeah. there weren't too many people doing what we did, which was recognizing that, if you understood the problems inside your organization and got people inside in order to help you to solve those problems and scale them with your learning tech, that's how you get engagement. It's the stuff that people really need when they need it. And 360 Learning were doing the same stuff. So, so they acquired us. And, uh, and here I am talking to you as uh, Chief Learning Officer at uh, 360 Learning.
I love that. Yeah. Well, we we've definitely had some folks from 360 Learning on the on the show before too, and so mm. uh, we are big, big, big fans of uh, of what you all are doing over there. And it's so interesting to hear too around your 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 journey that really led you to this moment. And it sounds like a lot of a lot of saying yes and like kind of following following your gut, not knowing what the what the ending's going to be, uh, which is, you know, I think a good when you think about careers, right? We we can't always we can't predict the endings, good no. or bad. And I think a lot of people hold on to like, well, what if this and what if that and what if this? And you know, if I think if someone would have told you, hey, this three month contract is going to turn into you, you know, basically running Disney, uh, you probably would have laughed in their it laughed in their face, right? right. Like I don't think you, you know, we don't we can't think that far. So. Uh, it's really cool to see that. So when you think about your own journey, what, and I kind of heard you talk about this in terms of mentorships, we can definitely go, go down that a little bit as well, but what prepared you for each big leap that you had, you got promoted, you know, within a large organization, you know, several times in the course of your time there, um, you've made all these big moves, what's prepared you for each big leap and looking back, what would, what do you wish you would have been more prepared for? Cool, oh there are some good questions in there, Sarah. So, uh, <laughs> um, I do you know. I would I would say that that in my career in the earlier stages, I was really cautious, and I stayed in roles for longer than I could have done um, because I needed to know. I needed to have the confidence in my, that in myself that I had excelled there. Um, and I and I mentioned to you that uh, that um, that that I was. Um, got internal awards when I was uh, at my in my standalone L and D role. I was actually uh, got two awards uh, similarly in the in the role uh, prior to that. Um, so I was getting the external validation, but 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 hung about even longer in those roles myself until I uh, had the confidence to stand or, or sit in a in an interview and say I can do this. Um, so my advice to myself would be you. You could have made the moves earlier. Um, you're, uh, um, you were confident, but you had good cause to be confident before then. Um, but, um, uh, but really interestingly, I see my, my my learning and development career in two halves. There was one half in which I, um, my mission was to become the most skilled facilitator that I could possibly be uh, in order to um, uh, to achieve the best results in a classroom. And then I joined Disney, and you know, while I was working on the uh, the, the performance management system, um, that, that was that was taking me away from that, even though there was an element of uh, instructor led training. But when I was approached to take on the L and D role, um, the the L and D manager role, I was told by the HR director, "This does mean no more delivery. Like I love the way you work, but we don't need a trainer. We need a learning and development manager." And that was a real. Um, uh, moment of uh, self-reflection. I didn't know whether that's something I wanted to do. And my gut was was saying no, because I was already on this path. And I thought that, that that's what I enjoyed most and would make me most successful. But it was too good an opportunity to actually turn away from. I thought I'd regret not taking the role more than I would not delivering training at that time. But when I did drop the training and I became much more of a, because uh, the HRD said to me, L&D is not visible enough here. We need you out in the business. We need you visible and impactful. So I just went out there and uh, partnering with the uh, HR business partners, 
which was the savvy thing to do because they were my gateway to their stakeholders, meant that I always had a partner with me, which was one of those HR business partners, which meant that I was able to achieve so much more by simply being savvy. Um, and, I, and so that leads me on in the second half of my, my career. Um, the thing that helped me get on the most was, was organizational savvy. It was how do I develop a pro, the, the right profile here in order to get the resources I need and the access to key decision makers. And that's nothing to do with training. And this was this was the fork in the road. And, and I talk about this quite a lot in my podcast. My first five years or so or seven years in a classroom did not prepare me for the next seven years in leadership positions. It's almost like those are two very different jobs. Yeah. And the first one isn't an apprenticeship for the second one. I'd almost say, and, I, and you know, I'm sure we'll go on and talk about how LD careers are changing. If anybody right now is thinking that facilitation and design and delivery are the, the bedrock of learning and development, that's that ship sailed, that's gone, and that is never coming back. It is not the bedrock, it is one. Uh, one part of it, but it is no more important than anything else. And this is why I think that uh, the, the learning development can seem stuck right now because we place so much emphasis on on the, being in person in order to, and I'll use uh, 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 inverted commas here, see people develop, which is nonsense. It is not, you know, we do not see people develop. We see people momentarily grasp concepts. Now, whether that means that there is lasting change or any behavioral change that goes back to the classroom, that is absolutely outside of our control. But um, but but going back to that point there, that I'd, I'd become a skilled facilitator, but then I realized well, there was a very different path. And this is why after eight years at Disney, I, I thought that I'd just become good at getting the right stuff done because I did immerse myself in the culture. I became incredibly organizationally savvy. My mentors were all inside Disney. Oh no, there were, there were two. I'll come back to the, the two that were outside that, that played a key role in my technical development. But I always had sought mentors that were outside of HR because the way that people carried themselves, the way that they um, they stood up and represented their departments, the way they influenced other people in order to get the right stuff done. And that, I think that in learning and development, if you can get enough of the right stuff done, you'll inevitably lead to, to impact and a, 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 a good reputation. Um, in the organization, you know, there are plenty of people who asked me when I did leave Disney, why did you leave thinking, did you get sacked? I, I always thought <laughs> that, that what was what was hidden behind there was, did you get sacked? Of uh, course, because why of course. Would you leave? <laughs> but, I, but, you know, I, I left with a heavy heart and uh, and um, uh, and I was asked to stay uh, because I knew because. You know, you know, the, you know, the reasons that, that uh, are, are what I said, like the. I, I almost felt like a fraud um, like at the end because although I was doing what was required and I think I was doing it to a level that was largely accepted as, um, uh, as, as at least the expected level, I just felt as if I had my hands tied behind my back. And I, I used to go home and, you know, we, we talk about, I think we're a lot more aware of mental health these days. Uh, and whilst I, I would say that I'm one of those very fortunate people, I, I don't have lows. You know, I'm, I'm very even, uh, I'm very measured. 
but I'd go home and I'd, I'd not want to talk to my wife about work at all. I just, I just put it in a box ah. and I didn't want to talk about it. And I think that I realized it was, it was eating me up that, that I had to accept some days that I'm taking steps back. And then I go back into work and, you know, I give so much and I'm still going backwards. And I'm just thinking, this is, this is no good. There's, there's got to be something else to do. Uh, and hence I, uh, I made the leap, but, um, but, but the, yeah, those, those, it's, it's, it's absolutely, we, if we're talking about L&D careers, I think it is fundamental now that we understand that L&D management is not a branch of facilitation. Facilitation is a branch of L&D management, but it is, it could be a twig these days, Let, you know, but it's, but it's not a significant part. I love that. And I think it's important too. I mean, you mentioned so many great things, but that it's that, that whole idea of like what, what is and is not the bedrock of learning and development. And we think about how do we become successful L and D leaders? Well, if that's the bedrock that we're the foundation that we're resting on, right. It's, it's hard to become better leaders from an L and D perspective, because that we're just focusing on those, those core skills, which are just small, small, small subset. What I really appreciated what you called out, and you mentioned this too, as you were talking about like just how you got, you know, got in and through your journey around that idea of organizational savviness and that it requires so much more than just being a good e-learning developer or Mm -hmm. trainer, facilitator, whatever it is that you, you had mentioned, it wasn't all, it wasn't, it sounded like it was quality over quantity Mm -hmm. that you were really able to focus on what are these organizational pain points or challenges or values or whatever it is. And how can I use my savviness to, you know, to get in there and make a difference there versus try to make a difference everywhere, right? If we're, you know, we're making learning for everyone or making learning for no one. And so it really, really stood out to me of like your, your ability to be able to do that. Do you think that it was how did you, how are you, were you able to do that, right? If you, you, you had that first part of your career, that was that facilitation, you know, piece, right. And that delivery that you actually didn't want to leave behind, um, Mm -hmm. but you did, you know, begrudgingly, but also you knew you might regret it, but how, so how did you then prepare for that role? And, And how did, how does one become organizational savvy if they've been focusing on just those bedrock pieces? Um, Wow. Uh, again, great question, Sarah. I don't think I've uh, I've I've I've, uh, I've been down this uh, this part of my brain before. Um, I think it came from um, somebody told me when uh, in my earliest times, and again, it probably was an HR business partner. Uh, and looking back, they were a cynical bunch, uh, but they were bloody good at what they did. Um, uh, they were gatekeepers to their uh, to their uh, to their stakeholders because um, HR. Um, had at some point had quite a uh, a negative reputation for being softly softly whereas these um you know the, these hr business partners sat with their stakeholders in the business so they were privy to some pretty tough uh, and and hard-nosed um uh, conversations and i mean that there was there was a lot of autonomy in europe at that time uh, i remember being in a uh, in a meeting once and, uh, and and there were people uh, around the room, and I think we were, they were talking about um, uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and uh, and they were talking about um, uh, a marketing campaign or or something, and they said, 
Uh, well, we, we're restricted over here in the UK because um, uh, in the newspapers, this was how long ago it was, it was uh, the <laughs> newspapers, um, they only told you what was in the movie, uh, like in the cinema, um, from the Thursday before. So, so if you, so if we're, we're, we're trying to influence people to go to the cinema um, on, a, on a Saturday, we've only got two days to do that. And somebody went, well, hell, why don't we buy other cinemas? <laughs> you know, you go, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, there, there are people here making that have the ability to make these these massive decisions. But um, but one of these HR business partners, I think, said to me um, was um, they probably realized I was pretty green at the time, um, uh, said that Disney's very political. It, it's uh, it's history is in in politics, said there was a book published called Disney Wars. Uh, and it is. You, you'll buy that anywhere. Uh, and it talks about how um, uh, from from the very earliest days, it was it was political and it was quite cutthroat. And so I bought this book and I started reading into it. And I was like, wow, this is not what you expect from uh, from from Disney. Um, from magic, then, magical, King, magic kingdom, Disney. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so, so I started having these conversations with different people about how that might manifest. And, and within that, people were telling me, well, that's the, also the nature of a matrix organization. And they're going, well, what the hell is a matrix organization? So, so there I was talking about politics and, and matrix organization. And then, you know, and then somebody said to me, um, and it might have been a course that was already on the uh, the Disney curriculum said about, right, what you need to do, you need to go on this course, you need to go on organizational savvy. And I went on this course and it turned a light on for me that that you could never turn off because it just it it told you that like, and the, the whole essence of this was that um, you have a professional reputation, whether you like that or not. Now, other people can dictate that for you if you wish. Or you can consider, or you take control of it. Now you could either take control of that and manage that manipulatively, or you could be submissive, or you could operate within this middle part where you operate with integrity. You manage your profile, you develop your network. Your network become uh, not just your your access to power and your route to greater resources, but also this safety net for when you need them, like, because not everything is going to go to plan. And it talks about these tactics on how to do that. And then I read this book of like called uh, Survival of the Savvy. And I realized, and well, first of all, I bet the house on that this was, this was it. This is yeah. how you get on. And it was, it was exactly that. Um, so, so there is a survival element to it. But once I, I got to grips with that and I realized it was working, I actually really enjoyed it in some kind of masochistic way that I thought this, I'm actually using this to my advantage. And I used to saddle up to people who I didn't fully trust. And it was almost like entering the lion's cage and thinking, I reckon I could get what I want from you. Right? Yeah. And I could also do this and leave unscathed. You know, you know, thinking it's like, it's a real challenge, but I'd also, yeah. I really did have a reputation for not being uh, manipulative but being political in the right ways, there was just this, this line you could tread. And, and you know what, Sarah, you, you do go over the line a couple of times, you know, but you know, you, you have to, but I loved it. And, 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 you know, even though, you know, I'd, I'd be talking uh, to this because I, I mentored several people while I was at Disney, especially those who had high potential, but were really struggling with the culture. And I'd talk about this stuff and I'd hear it so often people saying, 
but I don't want to play the game. I just want to do a good job. And I went, no, 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 that's not possible. It's not possible here. There's no such thing as doing a good job. And then I'd point to someone who was rubbish at their job and who would, you know, was flying because they, they, they were on the manipulate, manipulative side. They were doing it so well that they were, they didn't even have to do the job because they were doing it so well. It's a, uh, that, that for me, the app was, well, that was the absolute key. Now I've mentored many people since um and and i and i love it i love i love having those conversations and, and digging into those questions that have them see their culture for the first time and honestly it's they don't want to a lot of the time but when they see it they react against it but when they realize they can use it them themselves have achieved a great deal in their career as well but i think it's the nature of work i really do it, it, it is and i don't think i mean i haven't i've never worked anywhere where there hasn't been and a, a need to be organizationally savvy, right? And to, you know, know who you need to, you know, who's that tough stakeholder? Who do I need to, you know, how do I need to, and I think that's, I think that's human nature, right? Yeah. We, we, that's how we've survived as a species. Um, you know, who do I trust? Who don't I? How can I, you know? And so what's interesting too is hearing that, you know, for you to bridge that gap between trainer, facilitator, and manager, it had nothing to do with like you learning more about learning and development. And I think that's where a lot of people get really tripped up where they're like, well, I need to learn to be a better facilitator. I need to learn how to, you know, develop more training or different types of content. And it's like, actually, you probably already have, and I, I work with, with clients on this a lot. You actually already have enough, right? You have what, what you need to, to be successful because you know, yes, can you incrementally increase your facilitation skills? Yes, but if you've been doing it for seven years successfully, there's probably not much more opportunity for you to become that much better. But it's those non L and D related, I, I say that in quotes, like skill set that it sounds like people really need to focus on in terms of how do I it, powers of persuasion? How do I build my personal brand inside of an organization network internally, right? I think it's focusing on those type of things. And those are skills in of themselves too, that it sounds like when put together kind of creates that, that organizational savviness. So it was interesting because I had a question around, you know, skills someone should develop to land a high level L&D role, but I, I don't even know necessarily if it's, I feel like we've kind of answered that question where like it might not be specific skill sets, learning skill sets, that it's more around being organizationally savvy, becoming a business partner, being in the room. I would say like be in the room where it's happening, right? Like being part of those conversations, being privy to them, knowing when to step in, when to not. Um, it sounds like those are more of the skills to develop when you're wanting to move into L&D leadership versus your standard run-of-the-mill L&D skills. Yeah, absolutely. You, 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 I don't think you can be a potent um, uh, learning and development leader unless you have currency. Now, the the what I would say to add to the organizational sav um, savvy, because that does take time, um, you, you, you get time by developing currency. And sometimes you have to say yes to things that you know isn't going to work, but you need to... Um, but I suppose um, one of the other key things that really stood me in good stead, and this was, again, something I only learned when I was an L&D manager, because I didn't before, was consulting. And I mean, performance consulting. Um, I didn't have the performance consulting skills when I was at Disney, but I did always ask questions that were focused on 
the outcomes that were actually required and who was responsible for the work. I only wanted to work with the people who were responsible for getting the results. And, uh, and, I, and I always stayed well away from top-down initiatives to try to train huge groups of people that I didn't know had the same problem. Um, but that comes with a level of consulting because in the seven years previous, I did training needs analysis. We, you know, because I was because I was only going to deliver courses or provide e-learning. All I really needed was to prioritize what we were going to invest in. So the training needs analysis helped me with that. And also, we weren't really focusing on performance. It was focusing on learning. But at Disney, when I was accountable to each of those HR business partners who'd let me in to speak to their stakeholders who didn't like fluffy HR, let alone fluffy learning, they wanted actual results. If they were going to let their people uh, uh do some training they wanted actual results you know people would come to me and say that i've got this real high flyer in my team we need to refine the edges could you work with them right there's there's not a core i'm not going to deliver something for them i've got to work with them i've got to understand what it is they do and then i've got to help them to do that and there were phrases that i developed like um uh uh you you need to temper your enthusiasm like think think of it like um uh you know cooking popcorn without the lid on on the saucepan your popcorn's gonna go everywhere i'm not saying don't have the enthusiasm but pop your lid on so the popcorn doesn't go everywhere you know this way you've got poise and poise was such a big thing um uh because in, you know without the poise i don't know you, you you look out of control so that was you know so so there, there was one there and you know there, there'll be times when i was accountable uh, for upskilling an entire country on a on a particular area now there wasn't a training course we could run with that either but in order to get to where we needed to be we had to do the right level of of analysis so that we understood where people were and the jobs they were expected to do and then more often than not I would uh, help connect the right people to, well, to, to, to create the opportunity for mini accelerated apprenticeships because we were accountable for the actual people to do actual jobs differently. So, so that's where, again, it was really different because I would have developed um, uh, a theoretically robust and engaging program before, but I wouldn't have been accountable for the results. I would have just said, said like every other trainer does, if you don't take this back to the workplace, if your line manager doesn't support you, if we don't create the learning culture, you know, if the planets don't align, then nothing will change, you know, but, but instead, what, we, what we're doing is we're understanding the actual lay of the land, we're getting the stakeholders who are accountable for the work who say, this is the way it's going to be done to say this is how it's going to be done so and then what you do is you help the people with the job that they've got to do and we so rarely went anywhere near classrooms you know because it that's just not where the work happens so uh, so so there's another one um that, that that i'd say that um that so so clearly there's organizational savvy in order to develop the currency so people listen to you so you can say no to the stuff that you think won't actually deliver you the results but there's a level of consulting that gets you to the actual problem now that requires both confidence and currency for people to come with you and then it really helps when you've got a track record and you've got sponsors in the business who then say no i just work with david and i've just got amazing results look what my team can do now as a result of that so so you you, you amplify your sponsors uh, that you've got a bit of track, track record with and then you've got all of this currency and then you know, you, all the good stuff happens, you know, your, your, your career rises, 
Um, and uh, you know, we, we, and then we you're then the you're the the CLO of 360 Learning. That's how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm sure people listening are really excited about hearing about this and also wondering like where where does one start you know if, if I'm in a role and I know I'm ready or wanting that like leadership role maybe I've been a high level individual contributor maybe I've had dotted lines to people but I'm really ready to step into that more you know strategy savvy performance you know l and d role where where does one start like what would be your like tip or tips of like where to focus immediate attention so i think that uh, that um being a, having been a hiring manager it's very rare that you will hire somebody who you thought couldn't do the job so you have so so you as an individual need to be in a position where you are convincing hiring managers you can do the job now in the past the, the old route of, of, uh, of, of training and development or learning and development, as we've already discussed, would be often, if it's not with coordination, then it will be with facilitation. Then you grow your capabilities with the, uh, the, the delivering of programs or, or provision of, of, of learning content. And, and it comes from there. But, but learning and development in recent years has changed. And in order to actually uh, make a, a meaningful planned and demonstrable impact at scale you have to think like a product manager now a product manager end-to-end -end, uh, will seek to understand the data um, that, um, that both validates and helps you understand a critical point of failure in the organization and by critical point of failure it's something that isn't working to such an extent that it needs a team like learning and development to work on it you know in the past it would just be training needs and learning needs and do you know what if it was presentation skills or communication skills or a new first line manager course sarah it didn't really matter it's all pretty low stakes um, but but as a product manager if you can um consult seek data seek the evidence of the people that um are responsible for the work experiment um perhaps with a little bit of in person a little bit of tech but then hold yourself accountable for the data that you started with at the end but you manage that end to end with a stakeholder you're proving your value now uh, product owners or uh, assistant product owners can develop that those management skills i think that prepares you more for a learning and development leadership role than anything i ever did in a classroom because managing a group is nothing like managing a function it just couldn't be further from uh, from it but managing a product and a product isn't something that you'll buy off the shelf it's not an lms it's not a program it is uh, uh it is something designed to add value to a known problem and then tracked end to end in order to 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 make that demonstrable difference so i'd say that that would help more than more than anything else. And, and if people aren't aware of, of uh, what, how product management can help them in learning and development, there's so much stuff out there. And I'd say that Miles Runham, that's a M-Y-L-E-S Runham, R-U-N-H-A-M. Uh, he, he's almost dedicated his, uh, his career or this, the last few years talking about how, performance, uh, how product management uh, sits so brilliantly into learning and development because it touches on the biggest anxiety that we've had since i've been in the profession which is do we add value 
What's our return on investment? If we're asking those questions after we've delivered our solution, we've lost. We'll never uh, be able to demonstrate it. But we're, if we're asking the questions at the outset, what do we wish our return to look like? What's the problem we're actually solving? And, and what would be the cost of doing nothing? That's all the stuff that's going to get to move us forward. So more than anything else, I'd say product management as a core skill set. And then there's so much more from there because, I, I, you know, I, I really, truly believe that truly understanding the problem is 50 percent towards the right solution. But if we are looking for learning needs and then applying learning solutions, we're not actually seeking to understand the problems as they exist in the working context. We're taking them from work from the work context into the learning context. And, and the long and the short of it is anything will do at that stage because it's so far from where the work happens. But this is why people don't engage with L&D to the extent that we, uh, that we want them to. And this is why we're un unable to... Um, uh, to make the, the the impact or prove our impact. And this is why we try to, to work so much on the conditions for which people learn and all of this stuff about a learning culture when really we, we're, we're not ready to admit ourselves that maybe our skill set needs updating before we expect anything more of others. Ooh, that is so good. You know, it's so interesting too when you just talked about that last piece around like where we wonder why we don't, you know, have those connections or that reputation. Yet in most companies, right, product and product managers, and that pro that like has a has a very big stronghold on the organization and gets a lot of support and a lot of attention. And so we can start to borrow principles from the idea of of product management just in general. Uh, I it, we will see a, a big shift in that, and I I really really love that. And that that also kind of brings me to to this thought around like being a modern L&D leader, because we hear that a lot, right? Like modernization, modernization, like we, we hear that a lot. And I think there's lots of different definitions for what it means to be modern in L&D and modern in your tools that you use. And, you know, when you think a lot, when you think about modernization, like, what do you think makes an L&D leader modern? Like, what is, like, where, where's the difference between a modern L&D leader and maybe a more traditional L&D leader? So it, it, I think you've, uh, you've hit the nail on the head there, Sarah, because I think it's easier to compare and contrast. The, um, the, the traditional L&D leader um, manages learning. Um, and, and, I'll, and again, I'll use um, uh, inverted commas there because that's nonsense. We've never managed learning, the internal process. Uh, we, we, used to, we, we used to manage training, which, of course, is an input. And now, and now it's, you know, and, and now it's, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff around learning, whether it is the delivery or the provision of enough stuff so that when people will consume it, uh, you know, again, one of one of the other uh, nonsense things um, that, that we believe in our profession and we, you know, we do it because, you know, we, we invest so much in, in platforms that, um, uh, that, that, um, uh, end up perpetuating, uh, the myth that, that consumption equals competence somewhere along the line. Uh, and the, you know, and if, if only it was more engaging, uh, if it was only more this, if it was only more that, um, so, so, uh, so, so an old style, uh, learning and development leader is one that over relies on providing learning to poorly defined problems a modern leader 
is somebody who holds themselves accountable for solving actual problems within their organization using data and evidence and then and then leading with digital solutions in order to do that at scale and and be able to to actually demonstrate the impact that they have actually done that so i think that the the one is on the side of hit and hope spray and pray and the other one is much more scientific um but it's only it's only the um uh, when you look at it like that it's it's only the journey that marketing's been on in the last 20 years yeah. uh, one where it was considered much more of an art um, and perhaps a cost center, whereas now it's a science and you have tools like HubSpot that automates a great deal. And when you can think about it as well, and I, you know, I, I love this analogy, that, uh, that if we for one moment suspended the, um, uh, the delusion that we're, we change people's behaviors and we just dialed that down for a second and said the best we can do is influence behaviors, which I think is much closer to the truth, then we are very similar to digital marketing. But digital marketing have got it harder. So what, what is their job? To engender brand loyalty to an organization that somebody perhaps doesn't have an affiliation with and guide them through a funnel via education and prompts in order for them to buy something that at the beginning of the journey, perhaps they didn't really consider buying from them. Now, when you think about that from, a, from a, a, an organization perspective, you're looking to engender brand loyalty for somebody, uh, for, for somebody who wants to join your company. So they do have a vested interest. Now, if you can align your motivations to theirs, which is they've joined in order to do a good job, to earn a good wage and improve their prospects, imagine guiding and supporting them, educating them and nudging them to do enough of the right stuff opening up your culture so that it's more accessible for people so they understand what the expected and rewarded behaviors are. Uh, I, I love uh, describing this as uh, answering every question that emanates from how do you do the right stuff here in this organization? Because 15 years in learning and development, I know that 90% of learning and development is helping people to be successful here. And there isn't a suite of generic content or books or e-learning or resources um, that's off the shelf that covers all of that. We leave the hard work, the interpretation, and also the filtering to see whether that's how, how you actually do things at this organization down to the individual who's already got a day job to do. And, and I think that we don't come enough into their world to understand their motivations and their experience, their lived experience, and guide and support them when, they, when it's actually needed. And there are a lot of other buzzwords that kind of knit this together. Um, you know, so, so whether it is data and evidence-based practice to make sure that you are working on the right stuff, that you, uh, that you uh, understand the people you're seeking to influence uh, enough, whether it's performance consulting, so you're working with stakeholders and talking about what's actually important rather than taking their orders and requests, whether it's product management, so you can manage that end to end, and that it's, or it's learning in the flow of work so that you're getting as close to the point of need to influence the way the work is done and have a, a much more predictably reliable opportunity to, to uh, impact how the work is done. And then if we held ourselves accountable, and I think that this is the, uh, the, 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 surely it's learning and development nirvana. If we are making a demonstrably positive impact on internal mobility, then we are preparing people with uh, experience of our culture and giving them an advantage over everybody who doesn't understand our culture 
externally. And I think we should be holding ourselves accountable for that, especially in light of skills gaps that are, that are affecting not just organizations, but, but entire industries and economies. And I think that's the ambition. But we can only do that if we solve the actual problems in our organizations and hold ourselves accountable for meaningful results. Absolutely. I really love too that you talked about the difference between influencing and changing behavior mm. and, you know, yeah, changing behavior is really hard. It's really yeah. hard to do. And, you know, sometimes nearly impossible, especially you know, you're working with adults who come in from other companies and are already have you know ways of working. And we like you, to your point, we all have lived experiences. So to, to change behavior, you know, with one learning intervention is probably a a lost cause, right? But yeah. that that idea of like, how do we slowly nudge and influence, right? And eventually that can turn into a changed behavior, but it doesn't happen overnight. So I really appreciated that that lens on it as well. And one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning of that was really talking about just how overwhelmed we can get with technology and just adding in, you know, this, this here, this platform there, make things more engaging. I, I think engaging is like my least favorite word right now. Um, <laughs> so overused, overplayed, like what does engaging actually mean? Um, but what, I mean, I think my last like, big question here, especially because you, you work for a, a learning service provider and platform, right? So like what role does technology play in supporting a high level L&D role, right? You know, I think people struggle with finding the right tech to support them, to support their their organization. I think there's a lot of risks in choosing the wrong, you know, piece of technology too, and it's it's really easy for people just to keep adding and adding and adding. So, what 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 should people be looking out for if I'm in a, a high level L&D role, like what should I be focusing on in my, in my tech stack and uh, having that opportunity to, to choose? Okay, so so I, I mentioned it earlier. 50% of the solution is knowing what the problem is. Um, if what we're doing is looking for tech to save us, we are we're going to be lost forever because tech is not going to save us. So so the what, one of the key parts is actual consulting. It's data and evidence-based practice to understand what the actual critical points of failure in our organizations are and the lived experience of the people responsible for the results. A lot of what we can do can be free. Yes, the, the tech vendor said uh, a lot <laughs> of this stuff can be free because it's important that you prove the concept before you then go on and buy anything. Seth Godin once said um, that um, if you can't prove your, uh, that your business will work, with a clipboard and a pen, it won't work, right? I so, love so, that. So, so, build, so build it and they shall come will never happen. It doesn't work at all. But you can buy really smart tech now to help you solve the known problems in your organization. Now, the difference between that and just buying a platform filled full of content uh, based on the premise that if there's 10 million bits of content and I've got 50,000 uh, users, then surely there must be something for everybody. It doesn't work because it doesn't touch any of your culture whatsoever. I can tell you that those 50,000 people would rather have two resources that actually spoke to them in the organization than 10 million pieces of content that don't speak to uh, to the organization. So, so I'd say that that if you're data and evidence based and you've got a product management uh, uh, mindset, 
then you will be looking, first of all, to prove a concept with whatever tech you have. And then what you should be looking to do is now the, we've, we are in the age of AI right now. And what we're going to see in the next 12 to 18 months is going to be absolutely the, the pace of this is phenomenal. Yeah. So what we should be asking ourselves is if that concept now works, then what is it that I can do to eliminate all the administration and almost get with the tech? You should be looking to like to almost gain a um, a team member with the tech. And what I mean by that is uh, with smart automation that uh, with an API uh, recognizes where people are in their journey when they're joining the organization, uh, when they are um, uh, changing roles, when they're moving up a level, when they are when they've completed their compliance training. That should all be automated. You yeah. shouldn't be running off the spreadsheets or manually doing any of that at all. And if one person is doing that in your team, you are already handicapping yourself. So, so smart automation, which is pretty, pretty ordinary now, will, will help us to do that. Then you've uh, also got the opportunity with um, uh, a co-pilot right now. And uh, Microsoft just uh, uh, just announced this uh, last week that if you turn that internally on your uh, on your internal documentation, you can already ask questions of how do I do this here and then be guided to do that stuff. So 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 administration in learning and development can almost be eradicated with the current level of tech that we have. Give or take another six to 12 months before we iron, iron out uh, and that's uh, any bugs. But administration could be gone. Then I think it gets really exciting. Then we can really elevate the status. We should be in with our stakeholders. True, And, and instead of ask, uh, um, uh, asking for them what they need and then us trying to interpret what we can do top down, we should be looking and thinking, how do I solve the biggest problems in my organization and lead with digital solutions. And with those digital solutions, I am gonna say that if you can create resources or use AI as well in order to, to package up resources that help to guide and support people um, to, to do more of the right stuff in your organization and get the results that they need when they need it, like during transitions and periods of enforced adaptation, that is our, our foundation now. Um, and then what we can do is really tackle this skills gap, not with a with a generic skills taxonomy and generic content off the shelf, but truly looking to analyze work, perhaps working with a workforce planning team. What are the skills? What, are, what do we need people internally to be able to do in order to be successful? Uh, and, and I think that is hugely exciting, but it doesn't start with a tech. It never starts with a tech. It starts by knowing by developing ourselves in product uh, management, and then as a product manager, seeking to prove the concept internally with free tools and only get smart tech in order to automate that stuff and free up your humans to do what your humans would do best. I love that. And I think too, I mean, even as a, a vendor, right? Like you, that's how you want people to use your product, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel good also if someone hasn't made the right decision or they haven't done any of the work and they buy your product and then they say, it's not working or I don't, you know, yeah. it's, it's not giving me what I need, right? That's not helping you, you all grow as a company either. So I really love that advice too, of like, what, 
what, oh, I like to call it my clients, like amplifying what's working, right? Yeah. So figuring out like, yes, that pen and paper, maybe you have a spreadsheet, right? Okay, what is working? Great. Now, how do we amplify that and make that better? Is that a piece of tech? Is it a tool? Is it, you know, is it a, a vendor, whatever it may be? So I really love, love that advice. And I, I, I so appreciate, I mean, there were so many uh, mic drop moments on the show. I was, as you were going along, I'm like, oh, that could go in the quotation. Oh, that could go in the quotation. So <laughs> I feel like we're going to have a whole uh, slideshow of quotations, but David, this was so amazing. Um, just so much insight. I know many people listening to the show are ready for that next, you know, that next move and the, and the big move for them. And I think this will really, really help them create a more streamlined and realistic and modern, you know, plan for them to move forward. So I'd love to, for you to share with us, what are you working on right now? Where can people find you, connect with you and learn more about you? Uh, well, first of all, so they'll be able to uh, find me um, at the Learning and Development Podcast. Um, so uh, I wouldn't say that we're, we're rivals. I say that, uh, that, that podcast junkies love podcasts. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, so uh, I'm sure that uh, that we've uh, we've already got uh, shared listener. I'm sure we do <laughs> uh, li listenership. Um, so, so I'd say that uh, that that's a that's a main one. I mean, I'm I'm fully immersed in AI now. I I am so excited myself about um, what will happen when learning and development get out of the the run of the mill, get off the hamster wheel, and what we can actually achieve. I said, as I said earlier, I left Disney frustrated that tech was holding us back. Now I'm excited about how tech can truly enable us to to achieve so much more than I I could have thought we we could before. So so that's what I'm working on and uh, and exploring that. We've got an event coming up in the uh, uh, in the coming weeks, but uh, uh, but otherwise I'm on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter I'm at David in Learning. So uh, so always happy to connect. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for hopping on. I feel like this is just the beginning of many conversations around these type of things. So really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your insight. And yes, everyone head on over uh, to David's podcast, check out 360 Learning. Um, so many fun things going on over there too, from a tech perspective. So thank you so much for hopping on. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to the L&D Career Club podcast. If today's episode sparked anything inside you, I would love to hear about it. Feel free to share your ahas and takeaways by sending me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram or by leaving a podcast review. And if you want more support on your L&D career journey, I invite you to join us inside the L&D Career Club membership, where we are redefining what it looks like to grow in your L&D career. Visit theovernighttrainer.com programs for more information and to activate your membership. See y'all back here next week.